we create every day. Every day we create our lives, our day. And so when you're conscious of it, it makes a big difference. Today's guest is Hani Hera. Uh, Hani is our first guest who has no bio. And that speaks perfectly to who he is. I will take a stab at a informal bio, which is that Hani Hera is a dear friend. He's been a mentor, a spiritual advisor, an advisor in life. He is also the father of two of my closest friends. And he's got a wonderful story you'll hear. He's done all kinds of things. Today, he's predominantly an artist and just embraces life for all that it is. And I'm excited to share his story with you on the Gravity Podcast. We are here today with my good friend, and I would call you a mentor, an advisor, a spiritual advisor, you know, a dear father to my friends. There's a lot of wonderful things I could say about Hani Hera, but boy, it's just great to have you on the podcast, Hani. And I just love spending time with you. And anywhere I get to do that is always a, always a pleasure. Well, the pleasure is mine, Brett. You know, it's anytime I can hang out with you, it's, uh, I know it's going to be deep. Yeah. Yeah. We do go deep. That's part of the reason I think, you know, we love being together. And that's part of what we love to do here on the podcast, too. So let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about kind of your early childhood memories. I know you have an interesting background. Talk about, you know, you as a kid, your your parents, your family dynamics, and kind of all of that early stuff. I was uh, born in 1948 in Cairo, Egypt, with Egyptian Jews' parents. I had an older sister, a younger sister, Claudia, and a younger brother, Edward. And we grew up in in Cairo in a wonderful environment, had a lot of family, uncles, aunts from all over that, all over Cairo, that we got together many, many uh, times for dinners, for uh, social events. And so I was very close with my cousins as well. Mm -hmm. And so what was it like? Talk more about kind of, you know, being a child in, in Cairo? It, it was really very, you know, what I remember being that we left when I was 10 years old, being born in 48, 52, Nasser, Abdul Nasser takes over the country. And little by little starts really a time, a period that a lot of people started leaving the country, especially the Jewish population. And in 1958, we left. But before that, it was just, I went to, we lived in Heliopolis, which was a little suburb outside of Cairo. It was just kind of magical. You know, it was, I would go outside and some guy would have a horse dragging, you know, vegetable carts or food carts. And right down the street, there was a beautiful Italian coffee shop that was famous for their desserts and the food there very it had a very european taste at that time mm-hmm. and the reason is you had the italians you had the french and, and the jewish population was very professional it was rarely a part of the culture there the you know just the social scene the stock market the doctors the retailers and so little by little as the thing 
it started to crumble that by 56, 57, people really started to leave. And by 62, pretty much that the Jewish community was gone. Mm -hmm. And And so, yeah, do you remember kind of like, I mean, you were 10, I guess, when you left. So in those kind of, you know, zero to 10 years, do you remember feeling like a sense of that crumbling or were your parents, you know, struggling or, or kind of like, tell me a little bit more about, I mean, it sounds pretty magical in a lot of ways. It sounds beautiful and European and, and all of that. But like, there's obviously some stuff going on that, you know, kind of made your family leave. Do you remember any of that? Yes. In 56, the Suez War, you know, that was the year that that was happening. And I remember as a kid hearing the bombs, you know, the American bombers, the French and the bombing. And we would go into my mom's and dad's bedroom and cuddle under. And and it, it was kind of hairy. And from that moment on, even though we still had a couple more years that we survived very nicely, we knew it was just a matter of time before we left. My uncles had already left in 56 due to Brazil, which was a big, a lot of people went to Brazil. My dad was originally, he he knew he had to get out, so he was going to go to Uruguay at first. But then all of a sudden, the quota opened up for the United States, and he applied to come to, to America, which was amazing. But we had to kind of wait our turn. We left in 58. 58, 59, we were in Paris, sponsored by Hias, the Hebrew immigration. It's an organization that really helps a lot of refugees all over the world, Jews or non-Jews. And we spent about 10 months in Paris until our turn came up that we could take a ship from Le Havre to Mm. New York City. Mm. And by that time, I'm like almost 11 years old. And we get off that boat, man, and all of a sudden I'm looking up and it's Manhattan. You know, it's like... I'm used to the pyramids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, really. I mean, kind of cool. I mean, I I don't know what it was like, you know, for you as a kid to be moving around like that and the change in culture. I don't know if that was exciting or or scary or overwhelming or if you were just too young to know the difference. But yeah, I mean, maybe you can speak to that before you get to the big city, you know, and I want to even hear more about like, what do what do you remember about like being on the ship and like what what was the kind of curiosity or wonder or again fear concern about where you're going? Right before this was in Alexandria, and there was a story that you know to this day it still saddens us. But my younger sister Claudia had a doll, and the customs went through that doll and ripped it apart, thinking that uh, my dad had put some. Uh, the money in there or some diamond, whatever it was. Turns out it was just horrific. And, 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 you know, that kind of, that was the last thing that happened before we left. So it kind of left a bad taste in our mouths. We end up in Marseille and ended up from there to Paris for about 10 months. And, 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 you know, you'd ask me, how did I feel about it being a, a young a kid? And all, all I know is that my dad made it an adventure. Mm. He really, he, he, he just said, hey, we are, we're all going to a new country. It's an opportunity. It's going to be wonderful. And, and just to kind of give you a little bit of another story, mm-hmm. about a year before I was at a theater uh, right near our house, 
And and I got my first taste of America because it, it was a movie called The Girl Can't Help with Jane Mansfield and all these rock and roll bands, Bill Haley and the Comets, Gene Vincent, Little Richard, you name it, they were in this movie. And I, I'm eight, nine years old, and I'm sitting in this chair looking at this movie and getting blown away because, wow, what a great country this is, you know. Jane Mansfield, of course, was uh, pretty nice there, too. But, but that's what I had in my head about uh-huh. going to America. Yeah. So some of it was just informed by movies that you had some picture in your head and your dad's making this an adventure. So I get the sense that you feel fairly safe and excited. And, you know, this is, this is like, what a, what a fun thing for a kid to kind of have this adventure to go to this like potentially amazing place. I mean, it's it's a pretty, sorry, it's a pretty, as a, as a parent, like, Kind of genius, like good on him, because I'm sure that wasn't really 100% accurate. I mean, they had to be kind of like as adults with these kids, kind of scared and worried. I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but I would be, you know, certainly you didn't get that sense. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's true. No, no. You know, there's, there were other families that had a hard time with it. Uh huh. But I think because of my dad's, approach to it, it really did make it wonderful. And even at the time in Paris, even though he couldn't work because he couldn't get a, a work visa or a permit, he would take us to the ballet, to the museum. And really, we, we had a, a really a nice uh, time there, even though we were cramped in a hotel room, two hotel rooms for the six of us. It was mm-hmm. not easy, but still, you know, again, it was an adventure. Yeah, well, you know, I actually, knowing you, honey, it makes sense that you would have a father with that kind of mindset. I don't know if, you know, you connect these dots the way I am right now, if this is accurate, but, you know, you have a very clear kind of view of how your mind and your your you know, vision or your ability to manifest, right, can control the outcome. And I know that's something we've talked about a lot. We can dive into that, you know, throughout this podcast. But I'm wondering how much of your dad's mindset really was an important influence on you and how you've um, chosen to use your mind to live your life. You know, very much. And not just my dad, but my mom also, mm-hmm. because she came from a very, you know, affluent family. And, and when she came here, she started, you know, doing washing and ironing for people. And I mean, from a life that she had there to this, mm-hmm. just to, to contribute. And eventually, you know, my parents really did have that impact. I remember one day my dad saying, I want to be able to drop you in the middle of the earth someplace and know that you're going to come out. Mm-hmm. And so he taught me independence. And, and that was one of the most important lessons that he gave me. You know? mm-hmm. And that yeah. there's, you know, you, can, you just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really know that about you. So let's keep going. Talk about kind of landing in New York now. This 11-year-old kid, you're looking up in Manhattan. You know, what happens from there? Oh, it was magical again. You know, it was because we take a train to Columbus, Ohio. Now, why Columbus? 
again, the uh, people that sponsored us said, Mr. Hara, we're going to put you in Columbus. You've got four kids. It's a wonderful community, a lot of good schools. Whatever you do after that, if you're on your own. You can move anywhere. And we've been here a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a wonderful city to go to as a youngster. And pretty quickly, I became Americanized very quickly. Mm-hmm. Went to school. They put me back a grade, you know, because of the language. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be great because I loved my class the, mm-hmm. throughout the years. And so uh, that, that getting involved at, at the JCC, the Columbus Jewish Center in, in mm-hmm. Columbus in, in Eastmore was just another home for me. Mm-hmm. So I met a lot of people uh, at that time. That I'm still friendly with, Brent. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. Oh, I know you've got a lot of lifelong friends. Tell me, though, what was it like? I mean, you know, <laughs> you're Cairo, Paris, Marseille, Manhattan. Now here you are in Columbus, and yeah, like it seems like you kind of got this like community piece, the Jewish community, really good friends, but but. Was that like a bit of a culture shock to be here in Columbus at that time? You know what? I didn't. I, I don't remember it that way. Yeah. I remember that it was a another beautiful place that I'm yeah. experiencing. Yeah, and I love it. I never compared. I just I always thought that those were wonderful experiences that I had in my life. Yeah, but I always I never kept a foot anywhere. I would bring both feet to where I wherever I was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's great. I love that because, you know, it's often that people will come from other parts of the country even and kind of, you know, down talk Columbus. Oh, it's not this, it's not that, the weather, the whatever, right? And I mean, even sometimes I can, you know, fall into that trap where I feel like, ah, you know, it's so much nicer somewhere else. But knowing, again, I think, you know, your parents sound like they just have this kind of adventurous, kind of surrendered, just, you know, peaceful way about them that has you and your siblings just kind of going with it all. Pretty much. That's correct. I mean, you know, listen, no family's perfect, but it it was, I don't know. Once we got here, it was endless. All of the experiences. Once I started school, once I started some of these uh, youth groups that I was part of, it just opened it up. And I became an American very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. The accent left me after a couple of years. And, and from then on, it was that this was my home. I never mm-hmm. kind of looked back. You know, that wasn't mm-hmm. my thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. So tell me a little bit about kind of what you were into and kind of what kind of a, a kid you were as you started to get into high school, what maybe, you know, kind of caught your attention or, or tell me a little bit more about that stage in life, you know, here now in America. Yeah, when I, you know, started school and eventually high school, I saw that I really enjoyed. So I I did, you know, I got into the art club, I got into the art classes and my teachers were wonderful. And and then after that, I decided to go to art at Ohio State, take, you know, fine arts. After, as again, as a refugee, my dad comes into the picture and I'm happy. I'm, you know, I've got my first year in in the fine arts, I'm doing well. He goes, eh, you know, you can't really make any money at this. Yeah. Why don't you look at mechanical drawing? Okay. I know the drawing part is art, but the <laughs> mechanical part is definitely not. Yeah. 
<laughs> they lost you with mechanical. And three, two quarters later, I was out of there because yeah. I just, my mind couldn't think that way. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of forgot about the art then. Mm. That, you know, I ended up working in the music business uh, for a little while. And then eventually I went to New York and worked with my cousins in import-export in the business world. Got married in 71 and started our family in New York and from 71 until about 77, 78. Mm-hmm. I realized that's not where I wanted to raise my kids. Mm-hmm. And I loved, loved Columbus so much that I wanted to come back. Yeah, And, and we did. And we did. Yeah, honey, let's talk a little bit about kind of this this art part of you at that point that then, you know, as like the parental or societal or the kind of maybe even realities, you know, which I, I, I struggle a little bit with, but the kind of getting away from the art, you know, you 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 describe yourself as, you know, an artist or a lover of art or, you know, whatever you would call it in high school. And then obviously it becomes important enough to you that you start to study it in college, but then, you know, life kind of happens, right? And and I, and that's the piece I really want to kind of dig in with you on because we've talked a lot about this, you know, that sometimes we get away from the thing that maybe is really truly us, you know, that's kind of deep inside of us, that that artist, that creator, you know, whatever it is, because of these like real world life responsibilities or peer pressures or parental pressures, whatever it is. Talk a little bit about that piece for you, how that went for you and kind of how that did shift your life, you know, for a while. Yeah, you know, if I would have stayed in school in the arts, I, I'm sure my life would have been different. You know, I would have got into somehow kind of like what my son does, Josh. But the fact that I did go into business kind of made me inside of me, you know, realize I, I, I wasn't good enough to begin with. You know, it gave me that, infer- you know, what's the word? Security. Or- yeah, insecurity. And I just didn't believe in myself. Imposter. <laughs> Well, that, you know, for yeah. sure that goes with yeah. But I ended up creating this wonderful life and business and sales. And I went to New York, like I said, and that was a wonderful. That really was my school. I uh-huh. have to tell you. Yeah. Because once you work in New York, and I'm telling you, it really uh, was a, a great experience. It was a pain in the ass, but it was a great experience. But in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do the, the art. And mm. I didn't touch a pencil, a paintbrush for really about 15, 20 years after Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And how much of not doing it on the side, I mean, literally not touching a paintbrush, a pencil, uh, how much of that was some story that maybe you had in your head that you weren't good enough? I mean, was that part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, when my... dad says to go to this school instead of this one and, and that didn't click then then you feel like you're kind of a loser because you didn't you, i ended up flunking out of, of at ohio state and so for a long time that affected me you know yeah. you can't help it. well i i say it's crazy just because i know 
how talented of an artist you are right today. But and obviously you you were always talented, but you along the way lost the belief. And you know, you hear stories, and and this is just like factually true that there will be a teacher who says you can't sing or you have a bad voice or right, you can't paint or you know, for me, it was also in the art room where I was looking around and looking at everybody else kind of painting these perfect, you know, in the lines, surreal objects, you know, and I'm like, boy, I, I'm not talented, you know, but, but that's really not it. I mean, there are some people that are maybe more gifted than others, but, you know, it's really a story we tell ourselves. And, and it's amazing to me why I say it's crazy is because that story can take on a whole life of its own that if you're not conscious to, it can really impact your whole life. No question. The, the only thing that, that I will say is that I believe that in all of us, there comes a time, and it, it took me a, a few years. I mean, you know, 15, 20 years. But you do get to a period in your life, in your 40s. I find that the 40s is very powerful. And uh, that's the, the most growth you have, I think. Not that you can't grow more, but that's when it really starts to make sense. Mm -hmm. And when I got to that age and I started to paint again, and I started to doodle and started to, you know, uh, do this and that. As a matter of fact, I went to a, an art with a, a wonderful artist, local artist, Lindsay Stout, who was, you know, teaching us at Jeffrey Mansion. And when I started showing her my, my work, she said, honey, you got to keep going. You know, you really have some talent. And from that, it led to my f being free of not thinking that I was good. You know, and now you ask any artist, nobody thinks they're good. Mm. I don't care who you are. You know, but I know that I kept going and, and, and I see the work that I did at the age of 40, 42, and where I'm at now, you know, those are part of that 10,000 hours, which, you know, develops. Yeah. Yeah. And Boy. I, it, you know, it affected me, but it didn't stop me. Yeah. 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 Right. And by the way, like, maybe you can speak to this, you know, I hold the view and I've kind of said this many times in the podcast that there is no wrong and it's all happening, right? There's this, you know, divine architecture, you know, that I believe in that, you know, sometimes shifts your life, you know, for a while so that maybe you can fully embody something later, learn a lesson, whatever it is. You know, it's not like you then a bad life or anything. You went on to to have a career and and learn a lot. And, you know, and and I don't know what kind of how you would describe your career, and maybe you could just talk a little bit about you know what you did professionally, but how you would describe that journey and the value of that journey in your full life journey. Yeah, you know, once you have a family, you've got to start thinking differently. And so I did start in, in uh, business in New York, and then eventually came here in '78. And oh, was always in sales. Turns out I was a pretty good salesman. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a good shtick for it. I had, a, you know, people and what I did for them because I always took, you know, it was always about the customer. 
And throughout my years, I had really two careers with one company for 23 years. And then at the age of 55, I switched to another company locally. And it was wonderful. I mean, it was just a great way to end my career in sales. And at the time, when I did finish, I was always envisioned. And you talk about manifests and you always and you and I have talked about the power of the mind and, you know, and well, let's, if you don't mind, let me go back a little bit. Sure. Yeah. When I turned 40, 42, I was very unhappy. I mean, I just felt like the biggest loser. And I had an awakening, you know, one of these where one day I thought I was going to die. I was at a concert, Paul Simon concert, believe it or not, in uh, Dayton. And all of a sudden, it, because of the the weather and I ran outside. When I got to my seat, I felt like I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And I had a talk with God, that frantic talk where, hey, I'm not ready to go yet. Mm-hmm. I've got so much to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could go a little deeper with that. It, it was just one of those events in your life that just all of a sudden something wakes you up. Yeah. And well, let's go deeper with it. Talk about it. Really, you well, know. Tell me everything you want, you can. So right after that event, which I was 40, 42, I forget exactly. I started delving into why am I here? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? You know, what good am I going to do? And I started taking classes and reading books. Ohio State at the time had wonderful, wonderful classes that you could take, even though you didn't go to school. You'd sign up for them at night. Yoga. You you talk about spirituality. I took it all. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize how your mind works and how you can manifest all the good things that you want. And little by little, I became pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And that's when the art started. That's when my relationship with the family, because at the time, you know, there was some, you know, little turmoil here and there, but that really turned into a beautiful thing. My whole life really changed in my forties. Mm-hmm. And it, and once, and it was all because I realized how to use this little gift that we have in all of us. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still use it. I don't even you know, I started meditating. When I started meditating back in the 40s, I told myself, all right, I'm going to, if it takes me 20 years, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, where you start meditating, it's the hardest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And now I can meditate at a red light for 30 seconds if I want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's about slowing the mind down. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, things become clear. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this kind of you know, you're describing it in the 40s, which that's been probably true for me too. You know, I, I kind of look at it as like, it's always been happening. You know, the, 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 the change, the transformation, you know, I could point to certainly like many years with, with Jesse in, in high school, you know, you know, pretty massively impactful, transformative kind of experiences that happened at a young age. But the 40s, you're right, for me has been, pretty transformative. And, you know, what I'm kind of curious about is when you have that moment, when you have that moment of, am I dying and I don't want to die? And there's some sort of awakening that happens. A lot of people struggle to embrace that, to embody it, to do something with it. 
is there kind of this sense of adventure that you were you were kind of you know raised in that has you kind of look at this period of your life as as you know an adventure and and kind of energizing and exciting or was it also difficult and and overwhelming and maybe hard to transform i mean for me it's been very hard work you know what i i didn't look at it as hard work to me it was more i'm going to try everything mm-hmm. some stuff sticks a lot of it doesn't so you take the stuff that does stick and and so you know as i kept going i i had more trust in it mm. and 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 really that's deep inside once you trust the universe it's, it makes all the difference. And trust me, I, I would talk to my friends about it. They, a lot of them thought I was nuts. But And one of the things that I delved in that really, really helped, and I, I think that was a big part of it, was that I start to deal in death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially when my father died, my good friends, uh, a couple of them died at the, around the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I just couldn't get enough studying about death i got involved with hospice i became a volunteer for a bunch of years where i would just sit with dying patients and and listen to them and and, you know and that was extremely just a beautiful thing that happened in my life from all the people that i've met and another thing you know from that came out that i got involved with a dance group go figure that one out Mm-hmm. You know, Stuart Pimsler had a dance theater and he invited a bunch of people that would talk about death and dying on the stage. And we presented over five years, three productions that we ended up traveling all over the country with this thing. I mean, every time the damn curtains would open, I'd say, what the fuck am I doing on this stage? You know, <laughs> it was crazy. It's great. Um, I'm and, laughing because I also remember like a period, I think, in, in like high school where Jesse was like, he, and, the, and for the audience, you know, Josh and Jesse, Hani and Donna's kids are both very dear friends of mine and have been for, for many, many years. And, and I remember Jesse and I were in the same class. And I think he would like shake his head and just say like, my dad is obsessed with death, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and like, you know, at that point, like we were kids, we weren't like thinking about death, you know, and like, like, what's the guy (laughs) doing with all this death stuff? But like, I get it now. (laughs) Exactly. Now you get it. You know, once you make peace with it, life really opens up. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's such an important, you know, uh, thing in my life. Yeah. Tell me what you think. <laughs> well, yeah. So no, I, I, it's not really about what I think, but what I'm curious about is like, you're talking about trust, right? And I'm also kind of thinking, you know, you talk about books, you know, I, the book Surrender Experiment by Michael, Michael Singer is one that I commonly refer to because he, you know, kind of went on this lifelong experiment where he just kind of surrendered to whatever came to him. And so the fact that you're now on stage you know, like this is this big like surrender to like whatever's coming your way. Like even how you described, well, I'll just try everything and see what I like. You know, you have like a very trusting, like you really do embody this trust. And kind of for me, what kind of helps me do that is 
this belief that I'm held in something much greater. So that also has eliminated my fears over death. You know, it's the the whole thing kind of goes together. You feel held by the divine. You feel trusting in that same energy, and and then you don't worry so much about you know things that come your way. Not that I'm good at that at all. I'm working on it daily, but you know that's kind of it, right? Yeah, it takes time, and you're right because if you get if you get rid of that worrying about death, which is in all of us, I mean, you know, anytime you hear somebody going through something or watch the news or whatever it is, you know what? If it's my time, it's my time. I, I, right now, I'm happy. I, I, you know, I, I'm not worrying about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. if it happens. Yeah, there's, that was a big thing for me. And, you know, and I have to tell you, even though the Josh and Jesse would like make fun of it every time they saw a book, hey, dad's on this this thing again, you know, I think in the long run, they they got a little shortcut to it because they were around it and they're more comfortable. That is, you know, kind of what happens is you maybe become a parent or you start to, you know, get some years under your belt you know, you start to kind of understand your parents a lot better too. You know, it's amazing so. how smart we get. That, you know, <laughs> when you guys get older, <laughs> right, right. So then, talk about kind of the the art piece now that kind of you know comes back into your life. You know, you like you said, you had this you know wonderful career, long stints in two great organizations, but you get to a certain point where art starts to really become part of your life again. Yeah, I I started to get really involved with the community in Columbus. I was on the board of the the Ohio Art League for many years, just a great organization. I was the visual chairman of the JCC, but more importantly, I did a lot of work at that time. And I was showing at the Sharon Weiss Studios at different other places. I've had many shows. And and with art, it's always evolving. It's always evolving. So, you know, you could ask me right now, what am I into? Well, I'm into digital art, graphic art on my iPad. You know, some of the things that I'm doing now are just the coolest things because I can do them on my couch while I'm, you know, just drawing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, what's coming out. Yeah. And and I'm one of these artists that, you know, I don't think things too t- deeply when I start. I let the piece develop and then the meaning comes into place. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen some of the things that I've shared on Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. you know, they're... Like yesterday's drawing was about the Ukraine. I mean, and and I did it over a couple days, and the meaning came out. You know, Mm -hmm. at at the end, not Mm -hmm. in the so. And I'm still painting in my studio, but Mm -hmm. still, you know, the the digital thing is amazing. Yeah, you know, I love hearing you say that because I think the digital thing often gets a pretty bad rap from a lot of artists and people in general, right? Everybody's, you know, on their phones and everybody's, you know, nobody's creating like they used to or nobody talks like they used to, right? And there are some things that probably are clunky and maybe bad, right? No question. But no question. I've actually recently gotten super energized 
about how this tech that's kind of coming at us pretty quickly now could really unlock some problems that as human beings, you know, we've had a hard time doing. You know, in your case, just even the simple fact that you don't have to, and not just you, but for other artists. And actually, this is kind of a big deal. I think the technology for creators as a whole, there's a lot less kind of barriers to entry. You know, you don't have to have a studio. You don't have to spend money on paint and canvases and all this stuff and clean it up and take the time to drive somewhere to do it. You know, <laughs> you got this thing right in your lap and your couch and you can be a creator. Exactly. Exactly. If you're going to be creative, it doesn't matter what you're using. You know, not that I don't go in my studio and still paint, but the fact that at night, you know, I've got one eye maybe on the TV, and but most of it is on my iPad. And with my Apple Pen, you know, and those two things are, it's crazy what you can come up with. Yeah. I, I, the other day I'm reading an article, David Hockney, the famous artist. Mm -hmm. and, and what caught my eye was in Apple News was an article that said David Hockney iPad. Mm -hmm. Well, of course I went right to it. Mm -hmm. Turns out this guy, one of the most famous living artists we have, mm -hmm. is doing a lot of work on his iPad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I sent the article to Josh and Jesse and I said, I'm in good company. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I want to actually kind of dig into the art piece a little bit with you more. Actually, before we do that, though, you know, this kind of, I guess maybe it's kind of going down the same path. The idea that you just kind of, you know, get into it, that you don't think a lot about it. You kind of let the piece unfold as you go. That also feels very much kind of in line with just your way of being in general. And I'm wondering, you know, just to kind of maybe put a bow on the on the death thing, like how much of kind of your experience or education or knowledge around dying and death has you more free to be able to trust in that way to create? And not just art. It's really not just art. It, yeah. It's a big thing in art. But I find that it's in life. Mm -hmm. You really have this lightness in you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things that I, I want to do that aren't art-related that may be, you know, a little crazy. And we've talked about some of that, mm -hmm. you know, you and I, where I, I'll try it. Mm -hmm. I will try it. And my, you know, I had a... My philosophy in college was, I'll try anything twice. <laughs> you know, you don't know about the first one. Right. But the second one will tell you. Right. So uh -huh. that was my motto. Yeah. And, and you know, even at my age, there's such a universe out there that I don't know about, that I want to know about. Yeah. You know, three, four years ago, a friend of mine got me to a, a Grateful Dead kind of a party, you know. Uh -huh. Well, I never got into the dead before, and yeah. and all of a sudden I'm a dead guy, you know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that you know, there's every, there's so much going on in life. I want yeah. it all. Yeah, yeah, I get it, and I love that about you. And and yeah, so I, in fact, you know, I also have started to really learn a lot from death. In fact, I was on the phone with my mother this morning. We were talking about a funeral that that I went to, and and she watched by Zoom. And, and she said, you know, I learned so much from funerals. 
you know, and, and I kind of jokingly said, you know, yeah, I love a good funeral. You know, <laughs> it's like, it, but I really, I, I find kind of, you know, other people's life stories and, and something about maybe the, like the complete story, you know, and seeing, you know, in this case, a family who just adored their father and all that he was and all that he wasn't and a standing room only, you know, crowd that felt the same way, you know, imperfect human beings that are just totally love anyway. You know, I just, and, and there was a lot of lessons. Each person spoke and I just took a lot away. And I don't know, maybe, you know, it's appropriate we spend a little time on death, you know, but like, I just think, you know, <laughs> may, maybe that's it. You know, maybe we're just all learning from each other and kind of taking it in and trying it on and, you know, bumping around in this thing called life. Yeah, I was at the same funeral, and and it was just a, a beautiful tribute to the gentleman. You know what? I read the obituary every day, mm-hmm. and not just in Columbus, but you know some of the ones in the the Washington Post, the New York Times, and so on. And to me, it's more about finding out finding out about how they live their lives. You know, you, every once in a while, you'll get one that just mm-hmm. is so interesting that mm-hmm. you just. You want to emulate these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to emulate the guy that's 95 years old, still playing golf or doing whatever he loves to do. Why not? You know, if he can do it, why can't we do it? You know, never put, I, I try not to put any limits on myself. I find that this life is a gift. And if I don't take advantage of it, that's my fault. You know, and I don't ever want to be on that deathbed and should have, could have, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I like that you kind of pointed out that this wasn't just a thing specific to art and creating art, that it's really the same thing that, you know, you kind of embody about how you live. That is really wonderful. I'm kind of um, curious to come back to the art a little bit now. You know, I think I've had this experience even recently. You know, you you've been helpful to me as I've been creating my own art and kind of encouraging me to keep going. And and the idea of the ten thousand hours, I, I started to play guitar a few years ago, or maybe maybe more than that now. When my son learned, and and I and I quit because I thought, ah, eh, you know, I'm just not good at this. You know, I picked it back up again in December. And I've been playing every day for the last few months. And sure enough, I'm getting better. And I actually now think, you know what? Maybe I could actually end up being a decent guitar player, you know? But, but so talk a little bit about kind of the combination of the variables that it takes to become kind of like, quote, good at art, you know? And even like talk about kind of that, like what is good art? Well, when I was again, in my 40s, and I started to take it up again after I had that class with Lindsay. You should have seen my house. As a matter of fact, I'm sure you did see that. Oh, I did. I did. (laughs) Uh, I remember Donna not being real happy with that house. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, there came a time a couple years later, she said, you've got to get this stuff out of here. And then I ended up at the Buggy Works, which at the time was a wonderful place that had a lot of artists in there. And I, and I became, you know, I became so friendly with a lot of these people. And, and that's really when I took it more seriously. And, you know, that's when I started doing shows and, and 
I don't know. It just, the art was always in me. And mm-hmm. it was just a matter of time because it, the fact that it had been stifled for 20 years, it erupted, Brett. It didn't just happen little by little. It erupted. Mm-hmm. And if you remember that dining room, there was shit all over the place. I'm telling you, all the, you know, because mm-hmm. it was, I was trying everything, mm-hmm. watercolors. Mm-hmm. I was trying, you know, stuff on wood. And, and, and to this day, you know, people say, oh, you're, you're the artist. I'll paint on anything. Mm. And if I find something interesting, I'll paint it. And mm. and now it's kind of on an iPad. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you, you never know where it's going to take you. Yeah. So I I find that once you start, if you had it stifled, it's going to come out. Otherwise, you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true for everybody? Does does everybody have artists inside of them, or you know, a a creator part? that it's just a matter of it getting stifled and some people are able to find it and you know some early some late some in one way or another but do you think we're all born you know i guess in in my worldview it's this idea of being born in god's image and that to me means then we're all the creators so you know how do you feel about that? no no question no question about it i find that everyone has creation in it. We create every day. Every day we create our lives in our day. And so when you're conscious of it, it makes a big difference. You know, some people are wonderful gardeners like Donna has, you know, a beautiful garden outside and and there's people that do other things. I mean, and it's all being creative. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a paintbrush. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be music, which is beautiful, which I'm you know, I love music. Yeah. I find that we create, you know, goodness. Yeah. You know, by how you treat people, you know, that's creativity. I find that everybody has it. No question. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're speaking my language. You know, I know we share that point of view, you know, and I guess I'm wondering then, you know, what would you say to people who don't believe that about themselves? You know, I don't know. To me, it's kind of sad. And other people might say, you know, don't be sad for me. I'm fine. But like some people feel like maybe they're, and not to take anything away from people who have been dealt very tough hands. I mean, not saying this is easy and, and it's harder for some people than others. But, you know, what would you say to people who maybe don't see it that way? You know, in the beginning, I try to get people involved and even in the spiritual thing, not even in the art. And I really realized that everybody's on their own path. You can suggest, Mm -hmm. you can show by example, but ultimately you can't make somebody be creative if they, they're not, you know, they don't believe it. You have to believe. Yeah. And so that's to me is that individual path that we all take is beautiful. Yeah. And you know, if it meets with something else at the time, that's even better. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about that, the, you know, individual path or, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about manifestation, kind of using your mind. I always laugh about, you know, the story where I think you told Josh or Jesse, one of them, one of us, that you were just going to go down to the Ohio State-Michigan game and get some tickets. (laughs) 
that you had manifested it and you knew not only were you going to get tickets, but you knew where you were sitting. And I don't know how good you are if you actually manifest wins and losses, but you know, <laughs> I know, I know you have been using your mind to create, to create, right? To create your yeah. life. And you no, know, what I want to kind of just make sure I'm clear about is the difference between the trust of the universe and the use of the mind and the manifestation. I think I understand you know, how those two things connect, but maybe you could just describe it a little bit. Well, on that particular story, it was Ohio State, Michigan at Michigan. And I, I didn't have tickets. I, so I told my buddy, I said, if you, do you want to go? He goes, yes. I said, well, I'm going to start visualizing getting two tickets, face value, 50-yard line, and with a, and of course, I was a little greedy. I said, with a great parking spot. <laughs> so we take a ride up there that, I don't know if you can hear my dog. but It's okay, no problem. <laughs> so we get up there. Of course, we get a perfect parking. And we start walking around. And, you know, people are coming up to me, like three, $400. I said, no, no, I'm, not. I'm looking for another guy. And my my friend's going, well, it's a, you know, it's coming down a little bit. Why don't we get these and forget? I said, no, no. Mm-hmm. And as we walk around the second time, the guy comes up on my shoulder. He says, I've got two tickets. I said, what are they? He says, face value. I said, I've been waiting for you. He looked uh-huh. at me a little weird. Uh-huh. And I said, where are they? He goes, the 45 yard line. I said to myself, that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh-huh. the and like you said, I didn't think it through all the way because yeah. we ended up losing the game. And that, <laughs> you, you, know, we you, were like you forgot about the, the outcome. <laughs> but to show you how powerful that was, you know, yeah. to be able yeah. to think it through all week and then everything just, so that just, not that I didn't believe it before, but it just reinforces, you know, the fact that what we can do with our minds. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to talk to someone, you, I don't call him. I kind of think about him. Next thing I know, he either calls or I see him or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it, you know, day after day, I, I see the wonder of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really the key thing because it can sound, you know, woo woo and, you know, hard for some people to believe. But when you actually start to see it and you see it happening, like kind of everywhere or, or often, you, you stop kind of like questioning any of it, you know, it just is what it is. And why not embrace it? Cause it's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's part of all of us. And that goes back to the trust. You know, mm-hmm. the more you see it, yeah, the more you realize, yeah, you know, and if yeah. it doesn't happen, you know, it's okay. Okay. There'll be well, something else. I have one more question about art. Cause we're going to run out of time here. I could do this yeah. for hours, but talk a little bit about the 10,000 hours thing. You know, talk a little bit about kind of, yes, maybe we are all creators. Yes, maybe, you know, that's inside of all of us. But talk about kind of the combination of being, putting in the work, you know, doing the time, like mastering a craft and, and also then like that along with letting go, you know, kind of detaching from the outcome or from whether or not it's good or getting it right, you know, the the freedom that's necessary. Maybe talk about those, you know, components in the in the creation. 
Yeah. When I started, I'm telling you, there was, I started with watercolors. And, and I would just work on piece after piece after piece. Not that I ever showed that much in those days, but it was just more about doing it. And what I realized as you went on is that I was creating my unique art. You know, I, you know, when people look at my work, and I've been really very honored that a lot of people have bought my work over the years. And when somebody walks into a house, they kind of know that's a honey hair. Mm -hmm. And that's a gift. And that was the gift that I ended up with from putting all those hours in where I created my own style that people kind of know what it is, especially locally. And so that's where the, the beauty of the work comes in, is mm -hmm. that eventually, you know, you see what fits you, what makes you feel good, what connects with you because it's got to connect with mm -hmm. you first before mm -hmm. it connects with anyone else mm -hmm. and you know there were times that i donna would say oh i don't like this painting well of course that would be the first one that sold and she'd <laughs> say i love but i don't like a painting." yeah yeah and so but i liked it so it went on yeah. you know on the wall and yeah. to me art and creativity is so unique to each person Mm -hmm. that to copy someone else that's not my style you know that you know that's that's not who i am and, and mm -hmm. that's the beauty of my art is that mm -hmm. it is unique yeah and it's so, you know very clearly unique to you i mean i don't know that people know that if they don't know you but just in seeing kind of the art um, unfold over the years and watching you move from you know watercolors into you know, canvas into painting anything and now digitally, like it does really match your own evolution and the own your own sense of freedom and 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 trust and and kind of just surrender and and beauty that you know you kind of embody and have and live. You know, I really like the fact that you drove home that point or you know that that it's not just about the art, that it's those two things really work hand in hand, that if you are more trusting and loving and free in your own life, in your own way of being, that will show up in your art. And it does for, for you, for sure. Well, thank you, Brett. Thank you. It's, you know, it, it just feels good to be alive right now. Yeah. Well, it's good to be alive with you and in your presence. And, you know, I just really value our time together. I always learn so much and reinforces things that, you know, I'm still in my 40s, so I love to just get the reminders, yeah, like, you know. And and uh, yeah, you're just you're just getting to the good part, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that. You think you've done good? Wait till yeah. later. I I believe you, honey. I trust you. I do. Hey, as we wrap up, any kind of final thoughts or anything you want to share with the audience about you, life, where to find you, anything. Well, I'm in Columbus. I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram. But just to go back a little bit too, I just want to tell the audience how I, I loved you from the first time I met you because you came into our house as friends of my kids and and you would listen. You would actually say, I remember <laughs> the kids actually make fun of it. 
wait a minute, honey's getting ready to talk. Let's hear what he's <laughs> going to say. You know, and they're out, you know, goofing around. Yeah. And you were the one that I knew were is going to really be a success in life. I mean, not that they all didn't. They all yeah. did. I mean, yeah. Beautifully. Yeah. yeah. But you, you were spiritual as a young man without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was in yeah. you. Yeah. And it's only got bigger and bigger. So just to close, I, I, I want to say this has been a real pleasure to, to rap with you, man. And, you know, and of course, it's not going to be the last time either. No, 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 definitely not. And yeah, you know, I'll just kind of reflect back to you that I always felt like a sense of, of being seen by you and Donna. You know, I I don't know that I knew what that was, but there was a certain comfort. There was a certain connection. And and it was probably that you were seeing that in me and I could feel that. And and I've always, you know, really appreciated that about both of you. So it's just, it's just, you know, I think our our paths were meant to be together. And, you know, I still love being with Josh and Jesse and and you know, our paths continue to kind of come together more and more. And, and, and that's, you know, a part of this kind of next act that I'm also excited about. That brings me so much joy. Yeah. When I see you guys together and rapping and, I mean, you know, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It sure is. It all is. Hadi, I love you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.